I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. sessions of resume and stuff when it kind of kicked off the first time or did you no i thought about it but i feel like my way of working is just quite central to my studio and how it's set up i i'm a drummer and i didn't really feel like i don't know i just couldn't really see it working are you one of those people then who kind of subscribes to the idea that the the studio's an instrument yeah 100 percent. yeah i've kind of sort of been tweaking the way the studio set up the way that it's set up is integral to my way of working and enables me to kind of like put down ideas really quickly. So no, I, don't, I don't really have the ability to do that just at, at a keyboard or, a, or just at a bit of software. I kind of feel like I need a physical thing to make that happen. Do you just kind of have, them, uh, have all the mics set up kind of good to go and just ready to record all Yeah, time? sort of. I, I share it with an artist called Mella, a guy called Liam, who I built the studio with about two and a half years ago. And so I kind of keep it tidy for him. And, but it's quite a small setup. There's like not that many bits. Well, I say it's small. I mean, it's big by like a sort of home studio like thing, but not big compared to like a big studio. It, big studio. It's all in one room. I normally just do like three or four mics up on, on the kit, which takes me about five minutes to set up. I'm quite a fan of sort of minimalism. I did the heart. I sort of went through the, the process of, I was like an assistant engineer in a studio and then an engineer and worked at, a place called Rack in St. John's Wood, which is really big, fancy studio. I loved it. I'd, I'd always dreamed of working in a studio like that. It was great and I learned so much, but actually I came out of it like, yeah, actually I quite like working in small spaces. Yeah, it was quite odd, like having grown up and sort of being obsessed with the idea of being surrounded by all this amazing equipment and big recording desks and etc. Then coming out the other side and being like, yeah, I think I'm just going to do like a little setup. I mean, I guess it places the emphasis a little bit more on on your skills and yourself when I mean, you don't have all that equipment to kind of play around with it kind of adds a few restrictions into the process yeah totally and also just a, something that i always find frustrating in, in places like that more often than not there's so much stuff but half of it doesn't work or you try to plug it in and a, like a patch is dodgy or like i don't know you spend 20 minutes trying to fix the 15th drum mic that you've set up and it's just like well 
I could have probably recorded the whole song in that in that time. I, I try and be sort of as immediate as possible, especially when I'm working one-on-one with an artist. I'm just so conscious of not wanting to keep them waiting. And I, I just hear stories of, well, of artists coming in saying, I've just spent two weeks like watching a producer's back, basically. Like, either while they edit the drums or they make a beat or whatever it is. And I kind of like promised myself that I would try and never to try and never do that. Just keep it moving. Even if I give myself loads of homework later to to edit or to you know comp or whatever i want the artist to kind of be involved and doing something all the time otherwise it just yeah the environment just gets a bit stale i think yeah kind of build a little bit of a sense of creative momentum yeah how long have you been in your place with mellow when did you kind of build that studio we started building it about january 2018 or 19 i don't know actually um but we'd been working together for a while he was a drummer in a band that I recorded at a studio I was engineering at at the time. We became friends. He sent me a bunch of his like home demos and I was just like, holy shit, this is amazing. I was just, so I was begged him. I was like, please let me help you finish these properly to a slightly better standard in terms of the production. The songwriting was all there. He's a fantastic songwriter. Yeah, we, so we started this, this project. I guess it was one of the first projects that I really considered my role as a producer because up until that point I'd been I'd sort of gone through the sort of classic path of being an assistant and then being an engineer trying to take production stuff more seriously and this was like the first step in kind of trying to step out of that purely technical role yeah he was he was gracious enough to let me help him do that and we did this did his first EP he had a little room just over the corridor from where we are now which he'd built himself so we did the first EP there and then off the back of that probably about a year later maybe a year and a half later he signed his his record deal with columbia and i signed my publishing deal with domino we were just like well i guess let's build a studio now let's spend it all at once yeah that's that's what we did with kind of the aim of it being somewhere for him to write and record on his own as well as with me and for me to use as a kind of writing slash production room uh to use with other artists so yeah it's been it's been it's been amazing to be able to have a space to do that it's really cozy how how has your creative relationship with mellow kind of evolved then over the course of that first ep and then everything since because you've done all his stuff right not all of it no i've done well it's changed a lot (laughs) obviously it started off just you know being mates and just wanting to help him out yeah, as with all things, when money comes into it, things change, don't they? And we're still very close and we, we're still working together on a lot of his music. But it's different now because we've both got managers and labels and, you know, it kind of comes a bit convoluted. He, did he actually work with James Ford? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I forgot that, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's fine. So what, I mean, the sort of classic thing really with an artist like Mella, who's just starting out, relatively speaking, and building his fan base and signs a major label deal and then obviously a label like columbia are like well okay we need to put you in the room with some some big hitters so he went and did a couple of songs to james which are amazing i'm a huge fan of james's and a couple of songs we got to share production duties on so i was pretty stoked to yeah sort of share the share the credit list with him and a few things and yeah liam's kind of he's he's worked with a few different people now He's, he's also a really accomplished producer himself, so he's done the record that's coming, or the music that's coming, there's, there's a few things he's done on his own, 
a few things he's done with me that we did fairly recently and a few with a few other producers as well so it's going to be quite a mixed quite a mixed bag yeah he's got such a distinct personality though when it comes to his songwriting that it can kind of unify and you can kind of he has that ability where he can work with multiple producers yeah totally i mean he's got such a strong vision as to like what he wants that's why i think it does work with him working with different producers because his his sound will always prevail i think yeah i mean the very fact that i thought you'd done all his stuff i think kind of speaks to how cohesive it is cool yeah i did the, i did the last single hitch in which came out a few weeks ago um that was one we did towards the end of lockdown actually in eastbourne it's one of the mermaids isn't it in yeah the, oh, the video the video. <laughs> video is amazing yeah he's absolutely smashed it where about did you do that when you worked with james ford on one of his was that in a bigger studio or uh no it was a track that me and liam had started together and then he took james and they did a bit of work on it together and then he came back to me and then we did a bit more so it was kind of like a sort of going back and forth kind of thing but James, I've met um, James. Uh, used to have a studio at a place called The Premises in Hoxton, which is like a rehearsal and recording studio. I've also got a little mix room there. Premises is, is was my sort of first studio job. I was the assistant there when I graduated. Was that when you worked with Jim? Uh, Jim Abbas. No, Premises was kind of my first assisting job, and James and Jazz, Simeon Mobile Disco, had a studio there, and I sort of hung out with them a bit there, and then I went to rack in st john's wood and i was assisting there trying to sort of pick up more freelance engineering work um outside of studios i was really enjoying working at at rack and at premises but i wanted to try and kind of find my feet i think outside of like a regular place of work and jim i'd been a fan of jim's i think jim was actually jim was a huge inspiration to me when i was growing up because he did bombo bicycle club first album arctic monkeys first album worked with Adele, like loads of really formative stuff for me. I'd looked up, I just, I think I'd looked up Jim's Wikipedia and it said he'd studied at University of Surrey and done this course, this music and sound recording course. And when that was when I was at 17, halfway through my A-levels and I decided I wanted to try and do this course. I got onto it, did it. And in the final year, there was like a, like an, sort of an awards thing. Like you kind of hand your portfolio in and it gets judged and whatever anyway so the judge they got on my final year was Jim so he actually came back to the university which he hadn't been back to for about 25 years I don't think uh despite being one of their kind of most well-known alumni yeah he came back and picked my portfolio as a winner so I was mega stoked and essentially got his email address from him and just sent him an email probably once every two or three months like hey can I work for you now hey can I work for you now (laughs) probably for about two years I think after I graduated what happened was I'd been working with an artist called Tom Idell at Rack and I'd become quite good friends with Tom he was in the middle of his record and was looking for new producers to work with and I didn't speak to him for a while and I just got a phone call completely out of the blue from Jim saying hey Ollie uh, I'm just with Tom Idell I'm going to be working with him on his next record and he's singing your praises. Do you want to come and engineer the record? And I was like, holy shit. So yeah, that was, that was, that was incredible. And that was my first kind of foray into freelance engineering, I suppose. Uh, no, that's not true, actually. I'd done, I'd, I'd done a fair amount of, of freelance engineering, but this was like a major label project, an album project. It was like two months at Mono Valley in Wales. Sorry, not Mono Valley, Rockfield, the studio where oasis recorded morning glory as as the studio manager likes to remind you every single day um 
<laughs> so we we went and spent a month down at down in Wales recording Tom's album, and that was like real like chucked in at the deep end engineering chops which i absolutely loved it was great just just the opportunity to work with project like that with jim obviously was a real dream so i'm i'm super grateful to him and tom for trusting me to to do that and then after that that was kind of like my jump off point i suppose i became one of jim's main engineers i think i i engineered most of the projects that he did for a couple of years sort of off and on I was able to give up the kind of sort of regular studio work in, in favour of working for Jim and there was a few other producers that I was, I was working for, a guy called Will Hicks. Um, I, sort of, I feel like I've rushed a few stages. I kind of like, there's part of me that wishes I'd stayed an engineer for longer because I, I sort of quite quickly, so I, guess, I guess I'm just quite cocky. I was like, yeah, cool, okay, I want to be a producer now. And then the thing, like the Mellow Project, and there's, there's another band called Alaska Alaska that I was working with about the same time as Liam they both got signed off the back of the music that we worked on then a few kind of more production jobs started started coming in so yeah and then there was a point maybe about three years ago when there was a few things for Jim that I couldn't do because I was producing um and that kind of fizzled out and then now I'm yeah now I'm here kind of scared about what's gonna happen but it's good it's exciting when you're saying you kind of maybe regret rushing a few stages is that because you would have just liked to spend a bit more time doing that or is that because you think there was a few more things you maybe could have learned if you'd stayed in them yeah i don't know if regret's the right right word because i feel very fortunate to be where i'm at now and i'm i'm working on i think the best music i've ever worked on so that's amazing um but being in an environment like rack was so educational for me not just rack but working with jim and getting to work in bigger studios around the country yeah, just pushing my experience up a lot and just being surrounded by... Because the music that you work on is so varied as well. You sort of get thrown into the room with all different kinds of stuff, all different kinds of people. And as lots of people are aware, the production world and engineering world is so based on personalities, so much psycholo- psychology involved. Yeah, I think I would have I enjoyed another few years of, of just kind of being a technical person and absorbing a little bit more that being said the stuff that sort of you know sort of happened as a result of me taking the production thing more seriously has been great and yeah I'm, i feel like i'm in i'm in a nice place at the moment and i'm yeah really excited about the stuff that's that's coming up we've spoken quite a lot about uh kind of varying you know studios and it seems yeah. that environment is something that's quite important to you yeah i think i'm quite a homely person also maybe a bit of a control freak so i think i like i feel like that's quite it's quite an important part of being a producer is being able to set the tone and sort of set the room being able to control that space ties in with my production thing the the studio that me and liam have got is very colorful and there's loads of funky stuff on the wall and loads of weird little instruments and people often come in and comment on how nice of an atmosphere it is compared to like a stale sort of fit for everybody studio, which has grey panels on the walls and bright lighting. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I do feel like a nice sort of encouraging atmosphere helps a lot with the kind of creative creative process. How did that work for the new Lizzie Reedy EP as well? Because did you come up to her place in Scotland to kind of work on that? Yeah, you've done your research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lizzie, that was great. Lizzie... Um, about a year and a half ago, probably, she came down to London to do some writing sessions. And she came to my studio, mine and Liam's studio. And we had a day 
No, maybe a couple of days doing some writing. I got on really well. And yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd started having this chat about what she wanted to do, how she wanted to record her record. And she kept saying like, oh yeah, no, I just, I like writing songs at home. I quite like recording at home. And she was like, oh no, we can't, we, you know, we need to go to the studio, don't we? We have to do it properly. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And she was like, yeah, no, I, I don't really enjoy going to studios. I was like, okay, well, why don't we just do it at your house then? And I think her initial reaction was like, oh no, we, we can't do that. We need, to, we need to record it properly. You know, we want to make a record, right? And I was like, no, it's fine. We'll just come to your house. I'll just bring a suitcase worth of gear and we can, we can, we can build the studio in your, in your house as long as her parents didn't mind. So yeah, that's, that's what we did. I went up for three weeks, uh, February this year before lockdown. Actually, it was, it was just before I came back to London on the day that lockdown came into effect. And we'd, we'd spent this two weeks pretty much, well, completely isolating in her house in Glasgow sort of reading about the world around us exploding and going from one isolation to another yeah pretty much but it was it was amazing she's she's such an amazing artist i'm so in love with her music and she writes amazing lyrics yeah the the homely thing again was just so important for her and it was funny because I, i i love doing that kind of thing i love doing diy setups in houses or there's there's a barn in Faversham that I've used quite a lot like a fruit pickers barn that's got really good really nice acoustics uh before I had my studio there was a house in Forest Hill not far from here that I used to use the like basement room to do some recording in start of this year I went out to Tanzania and did a project with a few artists out there and we hired a house built a studio for that so I feel like I'm quite versed in building uh little small setups and actually the Lizzie record we did drum. We did everything. We did drums. We set up drums in her living room and ran cables through the hallway. Sounded pretty good. Um, um, okay, I was because you never really know with 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 a room. So sometimes rooms can sound really terrible, and it's kind of no really no real way of knowing or predicting. But her living room had has got wooden floors and high ceilings, so it works really well. Uh, there's a song called "Been Thinking About You," which is isn't out yet. It's coming on the EP, which is yeah really happy with the drum sound in that one sounds amazing so yeah i'm quite excited about i'm excited about that she's great what else did you have to do to turn the house into a studio as it were i know you're sitting there but you know setting up the drums in the living room what other things you kind of put in place what do you have to do to turn a home into a, a recording environment well fortunately her parents had gone away for the week um so we kind of had the lay of the land but i just took a setup with me i had a big suitcase and i think i took took my little uad twin and an apogee shall i get into technicals go for it <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what your what your listener base is um yes yeah, so i took my little twin and an apogee like eight channel adat interface um and i took a lunch box with a couple of pre's a bunch of mics and loads of cables and loads of effects pedals just everything i could sort of cram into a suitcase basically and yeah lugged it up to glasgow it's a flat on the first floor and there's a smaller room that kind of overlooks the street, uh, kind of like a bright, li- like small reading room, living room thing. And then there's a bigger living room down the end of the corridor. So yeah, we set up the, the smaller room as the kind of control room where we had acoustic guitars and it was a carpeted floor. So quite dead room, which is where we did vocals and acoustic guitars and percussion and everything like that. And then we ran cables down the hallway to the bigger room which is where we did uh, the drums. Actually, it was only the drums we did in that room. We just DI'd bass in the end. Like I say, I, I try and keep stuff as sort of relatively simple as possible just to kind of 
aid just creativity really and just being able to kind of like move fairly quickly so yeah it was it was yeah it was quite simple but it was turned out great what is the the first question you ask someone when you're looking to produce a piece of music with them what are the kind of conversations you're having and what are you looking to determine and understand before you head into that recording process i mean it varies completely but i normally i guess the first port of call is just to like work out what their influences are i try i pretty much have a spotify playlist for every no not every artist but most artists i'm producing i will set up a a shared spotify playlist just as a means to kind of like chuck tunes back and forth between each other and that's really useful trying to gauge like where they hear their music sitting something i always say to new artists is i don't like this isn't my project like i'm not trying to impart my sound upon you i feel like some some producers some brilliant producers do have a particular sound uh which is great and people go to them for that sound i'm a little bit more of a sponge maybe (laughs) um and i'm always just trying to work out in that first meeting i'm always trying to work out like where where their music sits or where they where they want it to sit how they want it to sound and then from that point on i'm just trying to like find find ways of of getting it to that spot basically I want to try and find what the artist is hearing and then help them realise that rather than, I don't know, I mean, obviously I, I have a vision for it, but I've, I try as hard as I can to try and work, work out what that is from, like, for each artist and, yeah, to help them get there. So, yeah, other than that, I think it's just sort of trying to make friends, really. I mean, a lot of being in the studio is just hanging out, fucking eating takeaways and chatting shit, just trying to get to know someone, I guess. I've, yeah, I mean, Liam and there's a few other artists... Lizzie, I definitely include as a really good friend, and yeah, definitely try and form that form that relationship with with people early on. How did your relationship with Lizzie change over the course of those three weeks when you were up in her house? Like, get your kind of personal, you know, friendship with her. Did that develop quite a lot as a result of making that EP together? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we'd spent only a couple of days in each other's company before that, um, and then we were thrown into spending yeah two and a half weeks in each other's like me literally staying in her house <laughs> like and just being in each other's company 24 7 um so yeah we, we became really close of course her drama chris as well they just have such a good laugh in glasgow <laughs> they're just so fucking funny i literally there was a couple of points where i was like i don't think i'm actually funny enough to hang out with these people like they're just constantly cracking jokes oh man it's i'm great. in the same it's position really, i moved really down i'm from aberdeen and i live in glasgow now right so oh really? Are oh, you in Glasgow? Yeah, I'm in Glasgow right now. Ah, yeah, right. Okay, yeah, they're great. I lo- I loved it, and I, yeah, I still chat to to both Lizzie and Chris. So yeah, yeah, they're friends for sure. Do you remember the first time she played you tribute, or you heard that iPhone demo? It was after we finished EP because I di- I didn't record that. That was that was her. She that was just a demo that she'd done in her bedroom one night. There were loads of tracks floating about as potentials for us to work on for the EP. So I got sent like a whole a load of iPhone demos, but that wasn't one of them. So actually, it, it popped up out of nowhere for me. Um, yeah, but I, uh, it's an amazing song. I, and she, yeah, similar to what I was saying about her wanting to like do it properly in inverted commas. And I don't think she really appreciates that actually her sitting in her bedroom or living room, you know, late at night fiddling around on the acoustic guitar and playing a song is actually way more real and relatable than a lot of studio recordings um and that's that's why tribute is so amazing i think because she wasn't you know it wasn't like oh i'm gonna record this for the record it was just a sort of offhand let me put this idea down yeah there's a real 
candidness about it as a result of that. Yeah, 100%. Is that the first song on the EP? Yeah, it's the, that was the kind of like lead. I don't really know what, what Chris, the guy who runs the label, they've got like a plan for it. I don't, don't know. I don't, I'm not sort of part of that, that planning process. But the next song, I think it's out today, actually. A song called Always Lovely. Yeah, that, yeah, that came out last, yeah, last midnight came out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you listened to it yet? I've not. I need to go on yet. I've not done my, you know, the kind of usual Friday going through and looking yeah, yeah, at yeah. that's come out. Yeah, fine. Oh man, that, that track was, that track's phenomenal. It's probably my favourite, I think. Um, that was the one because actually we we ended up kind of producing pretty much all the tracks that we worked on together and always lovely is the one that's the most stripped back it's just acoustic guitar and a few little there's like a few little atmospheric sounds but it's a performance we did it really late all the lights were off candles were on phenomenal performance i really love it hopefully quite candid that one as well how many takes was that uh, one of the first was it like a quite an early take you used for it it was one we struggled with. We did it the night that we set up to do it. She probably did about five or six takes and actually became really exhausted by it. And it was a bit of a struggle. And we had a conversation with the managers about it. And I was kind of dead set on this. I think it was maybe the second take that she did, second or third take that she did. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's the one. But I kind of didn't. I didn't push it too hard because I didn't want to like, you know, sort of force an opinion. But I kind of kept, kept it in the mix. And then three or four days later, everybody else, I think, sort of came around to it and they're like, oh yeah, the, we've actually got it. Like we don't, I don't know where there was talk about trying and doing it again and like how we're going to capture it. And I was just kind of silently thinking, no, nah, we've got it. It's just amazing. And then gradually everybody sort of came around to it and fell in love with it. And yeah, so it was, it was one of the early takes that we ended up using. So yeah, I'm glad. I mean, it's, yeah, it's often, it is often, often that way. Um, especially with with songs like that that are actually really emotionally powerful, it's, they're quite exhausting to perform, as I'm sure you can imagine. Actually, once you've done your first take, you're kind of burnt out if you've if you've put your all into it, you know. And Lizzie's definitely a she's that kind of performer. Um, she does she she means every word. So yeah, it's really important to 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 capture that first off. I quite often when I'm working with that people, I quite often don't let them play at all until I'm ready. Obviously, like I said, I'm try- I try and keep stuff simple and I try and get stuff moving quickly. The worst thing in the world is when someone's like, oh yeah, what do you think of this song? And they're just sitting in the corner of the room and they play it to you and it's amazing. And then you set up the mics and then you record it and then it's, it's not like, the same. oh, well, it's, it's not the same. So quite often I'm just like, no, I'm sure it's great, but just wait a minute. Do you ever find artists have the same thing with demos? Do they become quite attached to the demos and then it can be create a little bit of tension in the recording process when you're trying to build that out into the actual full song yeah 100 percent. that's something that's 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 definitely developed a lot in my production process because from doing the kind of biggest studio thing i think maybe more with artists that are sort of less experienced you know they do these demos at home they're really good and if the manager if they have one likes it everybody likes it and they're like okay let's go do it properly in inverted commas and they go to the studio they set up i mean i've witnessed this as an engineer in past times and maybe the producer like has glanced has listened to the demo but not hasn't really like let it sink in and they've gone okay we're going to record this song properly they set up big fancy drum recording setup blah 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 all the bells and whistles they record it spend like a whole day if not two days recording this song about a week after the session someone in the team is like hold on a minute the, the, the demo is actually better than this and then you realise you've kind of like wasted all this time. So something, so learning from that, something I 
I always try and do if I can is work from the demo files. With Lizzie, was there any? Yeah. Uh, what song was it? I think it was Company Car. I'm not sure which ones there were, there were actually, but she'd done a few. There was a couple of songs which were just iPhone recordings and a couple of songs that she'd done on GarageBand. And she'd done like a few different backing vocal parts, uh, a few different guitar parts. So where possible, I always try and bring in files from the demo and work on top of that. And then you can constantly kind of be comparing. And I'm sort of, I constantly have the demo in the session to sort of flick to, to check that we're not making it worse. And more often than not, you end up just keeping like loads of the demo, depending on the kind of track, obviously, but maybe you like redo the kick drum to make it a bit beefier or like, you know, re-record the bass with a nicer setup. But I quite often try and keep whatever it is in the demo that's kind of giving it that, that feeling. Is part of that, do you think part of where the demo is often better is it to do with the mindset that you're not thinking this is going to be the final thing and it kind of takes that slight yeah, pressure away? Totally. I think it's, yeah, like, as you said earlier, the candid thing. Yeah, recording without really realising that you're, that you're doing it. And well, yeah, I mean, red light, red light fever is a real thing. Totally. When artists know they're being recorded, it, it definitely, definitely perform in a different way. Have you ever recorded an artist without them knowing? Yeah, loads. Yeah. Yes. Quite quite often I'm just like, oh, can you just play that bit again and sort of hit record? If it's a track that's not to click anyway, that you can get away with doing that. I'm just like, oh, just try that bit and hit record. And then they're like, oh, yeah, like that. And I'm like, okay, great. We've got it. Then just kind of chop it in. Trick them. If there's like a difficult, difficult point. Yeah. That can work quite well, but sometimes it's really obvious. (laughs) You have to, you have to set it up in the right way. So you, you finish doing that EP with Come Back Home and then Lockdown pretty much kicks off. Like the day later, did you say? Yeah, the, the day I got back to London, yeah. What, at what point then does the label idea begin to enter your head? Because that's something that kind of came through or the, the oh, came through Lockdown. Yeah, that's what we're supposed to be talking about, isn't it? <laughs> I just um, noticed we've got to 40 <laughs> minutes and we've just been speaking about music. I'm like, oh, I got on oh, the label. Shit. <laughs> well, it was an idea that my manager actually planted in my head probably about a year and a half ago, two years ago. Yeah, we sort of had this big chat and he was like, you should start a label because I was and I still am working on loads of stuff with friends of friends, you know, stuff that isn't signed, like low pressure stuff that I'm just able to help or want to like help basically. And I just realized I'd be, I had all this music that I worked on with friends that I was really proud of that either wasn't coming out because they hadn't managed to find a label to release it or it was coming out and they were just doing a little self-release thing and it wasn't really getting the kind of attention it deserved and I just had this backlog of stuff and I was like I should probably do something with this so yeah then I started thinking well maybe I could do it I really didn't want to do it to begin with because I was like it's going to be so much work I know I mean I've heard from people how much work running a label is I'm kind of busy enough working (laughs) with my job as well as running a sound system and other stuff are you a workaholic would you say totally yeah yeah but yeah, I guess like, fuck it, why not take on one more really time intensive thing? So I, I started kind of brainstorming it and I had a few meetings with industry people, like A&R meetings. I went into Domino one day for an A&R meeting. I bumped into my, this guy called Anton, who's a project manager there. He's, he's a friend of mine, become a friend of mine over the last couple of years. I kind of told him about this idea, not really thinking of it. And then he, he messaged me about a week later and was like, I can't stop thinking about your label idea. I really want to help. Can I help in some way? So I was like, yeah okay great and then this guy called nathan roberts who's an nr lucky uh, label called lucky number actually the label that put out liam's 
first EP. Nice. I'd had a meeting with him and he'd put me in touch with this artist called Premium Leisure, um, who's based in Oxford. I said to Nathan, I really like Premium Leisure's music. Um, and I started helping Chris out, just helping him finish some tracks. I said to Nathan, I think I want to I wanna help him release it because there aren't any labels kind of really sniffing around. And I really believe in it. This guy, Anton, is going to help me out. And yeah, it's going to be label. And Nathan was like, hold on, can I help as well? <laughs> um, so it was, it was really bizarre how it came about. I sort of, I started this thing thinking, oh God, this is going to be so much work. And then sort of without really meaning to, this little team sort of formed with Nathan, who's, a, who's an A&R. And I mean, Lucky Number's a small label, so he's a, he's a label manager, really. He does everything back end. And obviously Anton has lots of experience project managing for Domino on sort of bigger releases. So it really felt, perfect to kind of work on it with those guys who would be able to kind of do all the industry stuff that I have no fucking idea about. So yeah, that's, that's, that's how that kind of came about. And um, yeah, Premium Ledger, the first single, when did it come out? Five, six weeks ago, maybe? And the second single's coming out? Yeah, a couple, I think it was week. longer than five, six, was it? Because I think I was still in Aberdeen. I think was this it? was maybe like two, three months ago. Really? No. <laughs> really? Oh Check. God. Nah, I, yeah. I think it was, it was a while ago. Okay, yeah. Well, it's been out a while. And the next one comes out next week, all being well. So yeah, that's that's it's just that's a that's a growing thing. Fortunate through through Nathan's contacts, we've managed to get a little distribution deal going. A little company in Brighton called Republican Music who are helping us. Well when we get to physical, they'll be they'll be distributing the, the physicals. And at the moment are just helping with the digital side of stuff and then Yeah, I guess the sort of plan is that the the music that we release is in some way shape or form music that i've worked on uh whether that be uh producing or mixing uh chris is like liam a really accomplished producer in his own right i've really just helped him put the finishing touches to it and mixed it for him yeah and then we've got the next couple of artists lined up as well so there's kind of like a six month rough plan at the moment but yeah just sort of taking taking each day as it comes with that really it's really exciting and also really daunting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested. What was your initial kind of elevator pitch to Anton when you bumped into him and you were speaking about the label and he couldn't stop thinking about it? I've no idea. I think I basically just gave him the same shtick I just gave you about it being like mates and having this backlog of, of tunes that, um, that, I, that I really believed in. Me and Anton had kind of kept in touch to a couple of other artists that I've been working with. And I, well, it was when I sent him, I think, the premium leisure stuff and the other stuff that we're planning to release that I think he just, yeah, I think he just believed in it, which is really cool. Nice, nice validation. What was it that initially spoke to you about Premium Leisure's music? What was it that initially kind of captured your your attention? You thought, this is something I believe in and I want to put out on this label. Well, he's an incredible guitar player. The guitar tones on that are insane. Yeah, Jesus. he's He's got tone for absolute days. Really great. I really like the sort of vintage, the sort of 60s feel. I like that it's a live band. His lyrics, I mean, the top light, the, the, the chorus on Ready for Forever is amazing. I, yeah, just sort of super catchy. It was, it was a song that I, that I was playing a lot in NR meetings to different people, basically trying to convince people to sign it. And I got really good reactions. And that kind of gave me quite a lot of confidence in it as well, that loads of other people were into it. No one wanted to take the punt, but I don't know, I could sort of see it, like, like people reacting to it really well. Yeah, I just really, really believed in Chris. He's got, he's, as I'm sure you know, he plays guitar in Willie J. Healy's band. He's part of this kind of group of musicians in 
Oxford that do yeah loads of he's part of loads of cool bands and he's a producer as well and uh, it just felt like a really nice sort of scene and really nice guy to to sort of help hopefully get to the next stage he's lovely and super easy to work with and uh yeah really really creative um that's just the kind of artist i love working with really are you involved in every aspect of that now that obviously previous as a producer you're just involved in the music but do you are you kind of involved do you ever say in the music video and stuff when it comes to premium leisure because you've also got that video for uh but but what was the first single again ready for forever oh wait uh remedies sorry yeah when he's going about oxford and he's kind of yeah 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 canoeing yeah oh sorry i misspoke earlier ready for forever is the next single that's coming out and remedies is the one that's out yeah i mean that's something that's been really new for me because obviously having been you know sort of more on the musical creative side when it comes to release scheduling and videos and artwork normally i'm just like yeah sort of you know i don't want to know kind of thing but yeah being part of being part of this process has been it's been great i mean i wouldn't say i've been creatively involved in in that side of it chris has been great and been sending me all the artwork ideas and we've been kind of chatting about it um but he's got such a great vision for it i really just want to give him the confidence to kind of roll with his ideas basically i feel like that's that's what's important about a label like this where it is just a very much a DIY thing and small and you know we haven't obviously got big budgets to put into stuff so we just we just try and make it work with whatever we've got and there's absolutely no reason why you can't make an amazing video on just an iPhone I mean Chris's first video wasn't done on an iPhone but like I I fully believe that with the right sort of creative vision you don't you don't need shitloads of money to make to make that work and so yeah I've just sort of been a sounding board I think hopefully for Chris to yeah give him given some confidence to kind of to go for it but yeah it's, it's been it's been really weird being part of everything obviously there's the radio plugging and artwork and i've taken on some of the graphic design stuff i've done the, the graphic design for the label with a friend who's an illustrator and i've got this concept for an animated video that i might try and do um for one of chris's singles animated videos are the best man i, I love um you ever listened to that band Psychedelic Point Crumpets? No, I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're probably like a psych rocky band, but the last few videos they've been putting out have all been like claymation. Right. Oh, sick. Yeah. And it's just it's so cool. Nice. Yeah, I, I love that stuff. It's so time consuming, but does does look amazing. Yeah, I've I've got a concept for a 3D video. I like it. Might work. It might not. But we'll see. I'm going to give it a go. So yeah, that's that's a new that's a new thing for me that I'm quite excited about getting in getting involved with. When you've been involved now, like in every stage of the process, and you kind of see everything as a whole, has that changed the way you think about yourself as a producer or the way you kind of view your role? No, I don't think so. So to a certain degree, I'm trying to sort of keep them separate. It has been weird, kind of seeing the messages and emails that I'm sending on behalf of the label, or like when I'm in kind of like label mind, like I write in a different way. I don't know, it's weird. It's kind of like a sort of tap into like a slightly different personality. Are the Ollie who runs the label is different to the Ollie who is Who's a producer? producer? I think so. Yeah, that's weird. I think, like you said, though, if you want to keep it separate so you don't affect the creative process, you kind of need to compartmentalise it a little bit and kind of just put it to one side. I need to compartmentalise, I think, just for my own sanity. I'm a, I'm a sort of, I'm an obsessive list maker and I'm kind of like, I'm obsessed with being as productive as possible. <laughs> which does not work because I procrastinate probably for about seven hours a day. I like to try and make that work. And part of that for me is like 
is separating stuff, I think. And the, the production and the mixing is kind of, I kind of feel like it's the day job in a weird way. Um, and then, oh yeah, that's, yeah, I've said this before that the, the creative stuff, like making music is the day job. And then I come home and do emails for the label as a hobby. <laughs> so it's kind of like the admin stuff is a hobby. <laughs> I've kind of got it the wrong way around, but it works. And then I, I also run a sound system collective. There's a, there's a group of us who we sort of started out as like a DJ collective. Uh, and we built we built a sound system when we were studying like a like a reggae inspired sound system we run a festival stage as well there's that that's another kind of like sort of hobby project uh which is quite needs quite a lot of work and again i sort of end up doing a lot of the admin for that <laughs> is that lemon lounge lemon lounge yeah, 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 yeah. you have done your research <laughs> wow you, do you not do live videos and stuff with them as well yeah well we uh, earlier, well, during the first lockdown, we took part in there's a festival called We Out Here, which is like a Giles Peterson invention, where we did a stage last year. So Lemon Lounge really is a physical space. We have like a we have a circus tent, a sound system, as I mentioned, and like a it's a it's a DJ tent basically, um, like 150 capacity, sweaty little tent. Uh, but obviously, we couldn't do that this year, so we. But we got asked by We Out Here to contribute some stuff to their digital. They were doing like a digital festival thing. So we we did a bunch of, we filmed a bunch of DJ sets and we also filmed some some panel talks as well to contribute to their program. Uh, but yeah, we, we, were just, we were just kicking off our, our kind of club night actually before lockdown. In fact, our, our second event was just before I went to Scotland. So yeah, just before lockdown. It was about 400 people absolutely rams together in a club in Bermondsey in South London. I want to be back to that. Yeah, I know. But like when lockdown hit, we were like, oh God, like that event was such, like clearly super spreader. We've probably passed it on quite a lot. But yeah, I'm really excited to get back to that. We've actually, we've been, we spent in the, in the mid when we were allowed to see each other in lockdown a month or so ago, we started, we've started upgrading the sound system. We've built eight new subs. Uh, which we don't have space for or any way of transporting. But anyway, basically doubled the sound system size just for the lols, I think. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know when we're going to get to use it, but hopefully sometime next year we'll be able to do that again. When you have all of these creative projects on the go concurrently, do you find you're able to be more productive with each individual one? Like I find if I'm editing a podcast and I start to get a little bit tired on it, then I maybe go and work on a film video and you can kind of jump and it keeps you a little bit productive. Uh, Is that a similar kind of thing? Can they feed into each other and you can kind of hop the thing from thing once you maybe start to feel yourself procrastinate like you were saying earlier? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely hop around. But I think with me, it's more kind of like burning desire to like finish or carry or like crack on with all the stuff. I'm just like constantly kind of like, oh, I need to go do that now. Oh shit, I've been ignoring. I've been ignoring that. I need to, I need to check in with that side of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, they all inform each other, hundred percent. Obviously, the, the Lemon Lounge thing is is more is more dance music orientated. That influence definitely comes into my production. Obviously, the production is tied into the record label. My taste. Sometimes I find one thing that I do find difficult is sometimes is that working out what I actually like. <laughs> uh, just in terms of. I love dance music, but 
I don't really work on dance music professionally, well, like as a producer. And then also fi- like trying to figure out a direction for the label that kind of feels true to my tastes because the work and the music I work on as a producer and mixer is so varied. It's taken quite a lot of time to work out like what I want to actually release. Like the stuff you've heard, the premium ledger stuff and the next, the next couple of artists are, are guitar music. And I feel like that's where that was like, that's where I come from. I think is essentially white boy guitar music <laughs> um, to put it bluntly. But then I do have a lot of other tastes and interests outside of that. So I'm, I'm hoping at some point in the future to, to kind of broaden the horizon of the label, release something a bit more, bit more eclectic or a bit more further outside the box, whether that is something dance music influenced or more kind of pop. So as most of the work, music I work on as a producer is, is more often than not female led alternative pop music. So maybe we'll release something like that. So you know, also I, I touched on this, um, the Tanzania thing. I mentioned I went to Tanzania. So that's, that's a huge passion of mine. Another producer and I went out to Tanzania to do a British Council project a few years ago. And long story short, we ended up going back this year and recording two albums with uh, these two Tanzanian artists, um, which is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it's like, it's amazing, real music from the soul. But yeah, again, like not within the realms of the music that I work on here really at all. And I'd, I'd love to be able to release that on, on Plum Cuts. Because we're we're trying to well we found we found a label home for one of the projects and the the second project I'm sort of toying with the idea of putting that on Plum Cuts yeah as you know it feels like a bit of a left turn to like do a guitar you know do a few kind of more indie band things and then go to like what is essentially Tanzanian folk music yeah quite a shift how has being a producer informed your tastes and what you look for in an artist when it comes to you know listening to them I'm definitely way more into pop music than I was or ever thought I would be. I think as a teenager, I remember thinking, I remember sitting in my room when I was like 16 or 17, listening to chart music and being like, I would rather be poor recording shitty punk rock bands in basements uh, than be working on like major label pop music. And then I completely broke that promise <laughs> when, when I moved to London and had the opportunity. Obviously, I mean, I was trying to follow my career path, obviously, but I, I never really thought of myself as someone that would ever be into pop music. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.